Jordan is on best. Harper's on middle. Play together, they believe. Um, if there's Levert, it's cold. Levert, back in. Speed. Oh, he's a one-man wrecking crew. Holiday, shot clock down to six. Finds Warren. Welcome to another edition of the Indie Cornrows Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Schindler. As always, before we get started today, if you haven't already, please be sure to rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts. I always want to hear from you and get your feedback. Um, joined today after uh, we're, we're coming at you the day after the uh, the loss to Philadelphia, which we're going to recap a little bit and talk about some other things. Joined by my good friend and also contributor over eight points nine seconds, Rhett Bauer. Rhett, how are you doing today, man? Mark, I'm doing great. Uh, not, I had some time to digest the game. Uh, if you'd asked me last night, it would have been uh, pretty pretty uh, in line with Pacers Twitter, where we're just garbage and all, all of that fun stuff. But no, I'm, I'm doing pretty well. Good. I'm glad to hear it, man. I uh, it's good to reconvene. We probably what we spent probably like two weeks. I mean, we we like text pretty regularly, but it's been a minute, so it's uh, it's good to reconvene. We have a lot to. Uh, I think. All right, let's just get it out of the way right away. And uh, talking about last night, I thought I'll just lay it out really quick. I thought Miles Turner played his best game against the 76ers that he ever has. It was still not an awesome game, um, but they were. I don't know. I, obviously, Embiid talked post game about how he's he's. I believe the exact wording was with respect. Uh, I've dominated that matchup since I came in the league. He's not wrong, but I nope. also think I. I mean, they were doing some stuff trying to double Embiid, but again, as as uh, Caitlin Cooper pointed out on Twitter yesterday, this team is thirtieth in the NBA at defending post ups and uh, passes out of post ups. So that was on. Uh, I mean, that was pretty heavily noticeable yesterday. Berkley on Cork Moss hit four out of six threes in like the first half. Um, and it was rough. So looking at that, you know, uh, it felt like almost all of those were out of wide open opportunities. He got out of the post up because guys were shooting off of him. Um, there were a lot of just a lot of open threes that we're not used to seeing Sixers hit. Obviously, their bench is a little bit better this year, but still um, even being in touch with people in Sixers media and, and being on, on Twitter, noticing that they were, they were surprised. They're like, wow, where are all these threes coming from? Uh, that was just the game yesterday. Offense was not, it was offense was not any better either. Um, it looked promising at the beginning. They were down one point, uh, at the end of the first quarter, uh, Domas actually took it to Embiid a few times that did not continue throughout the night. Uh, miles probably had the best. Well, no, miles had a good, good first quarter. Um, didn't get a whole lot of opportunities from there on out. He missed a bunny that was extremely rough and indicative of like the entire last two weeks of basketball. Uh, Malcolm had a good game, but that was really it. Uh, offensively, I should say. Um, but defensively, it wasn't really his fault that he wasn't doing well, as was also pointed out. Um, going over screens, they were setting high screens like six feet above the arc for Ben Simmons. And they're going over the screens, which gives them a, a complete runway to the basket. It felt like everything, I think outside of like one bucket that Ben Simmons had in the first half, all of them were in transition or coming off a high screen like that. Um, it was not good. Like, I think last night was a perfect indicator of how, how this team, A, this roster just sucks right now. And we're going to talk about that. Because I think that there's an important nuanced way to look at it. And I, I'm, I'm going to write about it, too, because I'm not anticipating the next two games to go too, too much better. Um, but also a lot of just schematic flaws that are very apparent. 
did I pretty much cover all of it? I feel like I got just about everything out of that. Uh, yeah, I think so. I think one other key note is that uh, Jakar and Sumner tied for second most made threes on the team. Uh, they both had more than Brogdon, Turner, and Sabonis, and they had the same amount as Doug. So that's pretty much how last night went. That that just a little add add that on there. Um, oh, that's a good point. Really not good. Uh, the defense. I was rewatching it this morning in preparation for this, and just it's just bad. And I don't know. I was talking with somebody about this yesterday. I don't know if they're continuing to do the things that aren't working in preparation that when Warren and Lavert get back, they'll have more ideal personnel for it to work. So they just want the repetitions of doing what they want to be doing with the ideal roster. But that's really, really reaching to me because it's just silly to continue doing things that aren't working well. Like you Embiid just absolutely tore us up and Korkmaz, you're absolutely right. Was so wide open on, I, I think four of the six, I really think he, there wasn't a defender within like closing out range of him on four of those six threes. And I agree miles best game, uh, defending Embiid that he's had ever only two fouls. And one of them was kind of, uh, I mean, he, Embiid was seeking out the foul. Yeah. Um, but I mean, he has dominated that matchup since he's been in the league because miles, isn't a good post defender. Like that's it's, it's fine to say that of all the things that miles is good at post defense is not one of them, but the Pacers were also terrible at doubling and helping and recovering, which again, goes back to, not ideal personnel for the defensive scheme that Nate Bjorkgren wants to run. Yeah. Yeah. That pretty much sums it up. Uh, you know, I think in looking, especially this morning too, just kind of heaps on to what I want to talk about. Like what I, I, in looking at the team, I just don't really understand what people are expecting. I know how ugly last night was, and I'm not trying to, uh, to make things seem better than they are uh but i i do believe you know the coaching obviously has to be better but i think you look at top down like you're mentioning with two of the most important rotation players out and this is not making an excuse but more like you're talking about what are you supposed to do are you supposed to just completely shift defenses which i think we're at a point where that's a definite talking point i mean yep but that's very difficult to do in the middle of the season, especially this season where the team's practicing like maybe two or three times a week, if that. Um, you know, I know that they've gone, if I remember correctly, there's been like a week where they just didn't have practice because of how much they're moving, um, how protocols are working out, um, the amount of games that they're playing in a week. Like it's very difficult to implement things just straight up in a game without actually getting to, to re- get repetitions in practice and try things out and have hands-on ability to change things up. But then at the same time, it's difficult because Nate Bjorken was brought in to be this innovative coach who does change things on the fly, who is willing to run multiple things. And I don't know if you got a chance to listen to the pod I did with Steve Jones, um, but we talked about, you know, running multiple sets for, contrary to having a, uh, a base defense and how important it is to have a good base. And the Pacers just don't have a good base defense right now. So it almost makes the uh, some of the multiple sets that they run less meaningful because they really don't have a base defense that they can fall back on that works. Um, and a lot of that is personnel. Like 
Um, I think it gets a little bit, a little bit overbrought up on Twitter um, because yes, the team isn't super athletic. They don't have a ton of length, but like, I do think they could be running a, a more, like if they're running the system from last year, it's, it's definitely, definitely better, you know? Um, but I, I don't know. How, how do you kind of fall on that? Because I think some of the criticism that's been coming towards Nate York, and I think has been a little bit over overblown and unfair. Um, like I get it. It's, it's not how anybody wants the season to go. I said this early on, I believe I was, I was talking to you. I wish the team had started four and eight instead of eight and four, because I think yep. it really set up the wrong expectations for the rest of this year, especially with the Vic trade. Um, and that's not to be cynical, but I think it's just more of, I think people got a very uh, incorrect view of what this team was going to be the rest of the season. Um, and it's difficult too, because you saw how things did work with Nate Yorker and, and the team as they were constructed. Like we had the, the four games in which TJ actually played with the Pacers. And even when he, he, he was clearly not at full strength, um, but that worked like the defense was looking really good. It was a top 10 defense for a short time. The offense was looking really good. Everything seemed to be working. And I think you see the inklings of, okay, okay if this, if this roster is healthy and again, we haven't seen Karis, we haven't seen TJ at full strength, but like, I don't know. How, how do you fall on that? Because I'm trying to be uh, pretty measured in how I approach it. Cause I think there are definitely like, like we mentioned, there are things that do need to be better and should be better, but at the same time, it's not a regular season. Like, it is the regular season, but it's not a regular season. And I think no. that that's being lost a lot in, in, in how we're talking about this. I could not agree more. And I think that this comes back to like when we talked preseason, like the expectation for this team for me and you was like seventh seed ish, like in the play in game, just because it's a different roster. We weren't sure if Oladipo is going to be here. Now Oladipo is not here. And we also don't have Karis Levert. That matters. And then Bjorkren is a new coach, but giving him criticism on game 33, like that, that's just in this season like this, like you said, where they're not practicing, it's just so, it's just such an unrealistic expectation for what this team should be doing. Like there's, I know everybody has the same shortened season and everybody's practicing pretty much the same amount, but it's just not, I don't really understand why, it's such a big, like, it's such a big disappointment that we're struggling like we are when we don't have a ton of repetitions with this roster. And then we also don't have a couple of really important players. And I know a lot of other teams are missing players, but it's just, I don't know. I, I, I think the most frustrating part has been that because it's been a season where expectations have been different than other seasons. Cause previously it was like, okay, we made the four or five seed last year. Like we should get better. And then we should be the three seed. And then we end up staying the four or five seed. And like, that's a disappointing season. But now the expectation should not have been to improve on a four to five seed. Like with the turnover that we were expecting, like most people was expecting like old Depot probably will not finish the season in a Pacers uniform. He got traded much earlier than we thought. And the defense was great with him there because that's what Oladipo was able to return to was a great defender, but just, I, man, I, I don't know. Under, I don't understand why we're giving Bjorkren such a hard time when what he's working with is not ideal in terms of personnel timing to actually establish things. And then also a huge coaching staff changeover. Like we were just coaching against 
uh, Popeye Jones and Dan Burke. Like those are the two, I think the two longest tenured assistant coaches that the Pacers had over the last 20 years and they're both gone. So like, you've got a huge roster turnover, huge coaching turnover, just try to find some good things in it. I guess I don't, I don't really know what else to say about that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And before I, I kind of get back on that, just to, to highlight, like, so like we mentioned, the team starts eight and four, uh, really. Okay. So old Yipo trade happens. I believe it was the day of the Portland game or right after. I can't remember. Or maybe Nine it was games into the season. I think it was the day before. Yeah. He yeah. didn't get on the plane to go. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the team wins in Portland. That, that's when they go eight and four. But after that, the team is seven and 14 since then. Um, and again, I don't think the team is that bad, but I think like we've talked about, there, there's just a big drop off between having, uh, I mean, we saw with Justin Holiday yesterday, he's a guy who can attack a closeout if he's the fifth man, but if he's the, the, the first guy asked to bend the defense, like uh, after Malcolm kicks it out, that he just can't do it. There, there's a lot, um, a lot just in terms of talent missing on the roster. And that really shows. And I think part of it that's difficult too is with last year, um, like you mentioned with the coaching, like, I think that's, we, I don't want to say that we undersold that, but I think in general, there was kind of an underselling of um, how big of a difference it was going to be going from being arguably the most stable franchise in the NBA, uh, at least in terms of uh, infrastructure to being one of the, the, not to say that they're like the least, but to being, you know, kind of on par with everyone else, everyone else. And, trying to figure out uh, new systems and new ways of doing things. And there's just been so much upheaval with the roster. Um, I do think like there, like, like we mentioned, there is a place for criticism for, for, for Nate, um, like playing TJ McConnell 46 minutes the other night was, I don't care who it is playing 46 minutes in a regular season game. Ridiculous. Is just, it's not necessary. Yep. Um, playing but, Domas eight minutes of garbage time last night when the Pacers weren't within 20 points of the Sixers, the entire fourth quarter also a little bit unnecessary yeah i didn't understand that either uh but at the same time like we've mentioned there are good things that you do have to point out the offense um i think it's more looking at process than results um like i want to say it's nikaias duncan and uh um steve who say that steve jones over on dunker spot that say process over results and i'm adapting that but that's what you have to look at with this pacers team so what i find positive just because i try and be a really positive person and i think there's always a I don't want to say silver lining because that sounds like kind of pretentious and also like patronizing. Um, but you, re you really look at it. We heard for three years that the shot pro profile of the team was a priority of changing and it never did. And now we have within one year, not even a full year, within half of a season, the shot profile is drastically changed. The team is still first in the league in rim attempts. Uh, they're, I believe, 20th in mid, no, 28th in mid range attempts and around 19th or 20th in three point attempts. And we've talked about why the three point attempts aren't as uh, important. It's more of like looking at the way that they're able to get pressure on the rim. But the problem has just been finishing. Finishing has been bad. And a lot of that happens when you don't have two of the guys who would be the best. Like TJ is the best finisher on the team. He was the primary play finisher all of last year. Um, a lot of sets were generated to end with him getting the ball. Um, and getting to a spot and you don't have that, that release valve. Like that's the problem. Like you have Malcolm is good when he has a release valve, when there are three guys who can hone in on him. And as we've seen too, with, um, with Domas, like part of the issue is they teams have stopped doubling Domas 
because yep. you're not getting any action if you don't get the initial advantage by causing the defense to collapse, um, which is without having a guy who's like a true primary ball handler. If you can't collapse the defense that way, you're using Domas to try and sync them with the double team. But then if the double team's never coming uh, and they're just coming late, A, it's still a very difficult contested shot for Domas, but B, off-ball movement's not happening, at least not in the same way it has been. I think it was a little bit better in that first quarter last night, um, but it died down uh, pretty quickly after. Um, I can't remember what my original point was there. I, I think point being, just there are good things happening, but because you don't have the whole roster, it's very difficult to um, to see like the results are not what you want, obviously, but I think there are, you can point to things in the process that are a lot better than they were last year, or at least more of what you want in modern basketball than they were last year. And that's the thing too. It's like how many people that are frustrated with the current team and like the results of the current team were also tweeting out hashtag fire Nate last year. Like the whole, the whole point of, of changing coaching staffs, like not just head coach, but down the line coaching staff was to get, was to have a different result. That doesn't guarantee a better result. We were not the Golden State Warriors that was firing Mark Jackson to hire Steve Kerr and then win 60 games. That was like, that is a completely complete anomaly in, in terms of the league, I feel like. And every coaching hire does not immediately come in and add 20 wins to your roster. Like, it's just when you make a change as drastic as what the Pacers did this past off season. And then during the season, you're, you're, it's possible you're going to struggle and we're seeing that, but I do agree completely that the process is what we need to look at. And like you said, there is some criticisms with the process, specifically the defense and how they don't typically adapt to the opponent that they're playing going over Ben Simmons screens. Um, but there's, there's some good things as well. And I think that that, that's just, if I've, I've started to adopt that because otherwise you're just going to go crazy looking at all the terrible things about the team and having these crazy high expectations for a team that generally just isn't that good right now. Yeah, no, I think that is a, that's a great point. Um, and I think like you were mentioning too, um, it's important to, to like, I don't want to say that. Uh, I mean, I, I get that people are frustrated. Um, I do. But I think that this is like like we're talking about, like looking at process and results, like looking at how different things are this year. Um, like just to put into perspective for people, like um, I used to harp on all the time how I wished Domas would take more threes um, or at least attempt some or, or drive to the rim more. And now we're seeing that. But last year he was taking 14 um, percent of his shots were from 14 feet to the arc. And now he's taking four percent of his shots there. Um, that's a big change. Almost all of those are delineated to taking threes now. And I think that's been huge for his game, even though I don't think teams are quite defending him out there yet. Um, no, they aren't, which is, I mean, makes sense, but he's still shooting like slightly below league average. It's better than, than what he's doing. I do actually think there's room for him to take some more of those. Um, like I, I, I do like, I don't know. It's a, it's finding a happy balance. Um, but I do think there's actually room for him to maybe take some of those 16 to 18 footers he used to. Um, just like maybe he, he dribbles out of a three into them or something. And I, I know I was the one who was like, well, take more threes, but sometimes the threes feel kind of forced. I don't know. It's a, it's a happy balance, just finding uh, the right thing there. But um, ultimately, yes, I, I think we'll definitely talk more um, 
in the coming weeks about our expectations for the rest of the year, because right now it's looking like Karras should be back um, by the end of the all-star break potentially, or at least practicing. Um, that's not official. Um, that's just from, from what we've kind of heard recently. Uh, it, it appears that way, uh, which, you know, hopefully regardless, just you want him to be healthy. We're not sure about what's going to happen with TJ. Um, I guess my initial thing I would ask you is what are your thoughts on the rest of the season? Like, what are you hoping to see, um, or what constitutes a good rest of the season for you? Edmund Sumner. Uh, no, I, I do think Sumner will have to talk about him a, a little mm-hmm. bit more, but, uh, we have to prioritize spreading the minutes out. I think yeah, because uh, we've been saying it all season. And of course, when you're winning games and you're playing your starters, huge minutes and you're leading the league, you've got two players in the top five of minutes per game. If you're winning, that's fine. But if you're not, then it's kind of like for what, you know? Um, But I think that letting, letting Aaron, run with the ball in his hands a little bit more, develop more as an on-ball presence, letting Goga come in and play some solo center and just see, see if he can handle uh, more opportunity and more uh, expectations of him as specifically as a defender, I think for him um, just because he has some moments where he looks good defensively and then he gets lost um, and, and so I think that that's something that he's just going to have to grow out of and have to give him an opportunity to do so. Um, and then, I, I mean, if Karras does end up coming back, like shortly after the All-Star break, I think that just watching what he brings or what he takes away from Sabonis and Brogdon as far as load on the offense in, in terms of creation and being that that third, I guess, I don't know where he would stack up in that hierarchy of option, but being a third option out there to create for himself and for others. Um, that's going to be what I'm looking for the most, because that'll give you a better idea of what this team uh, can actually look like when, uh, when we've got everybody back in the lineup. What, what do you think? Yeah, no, I mean, I agree. I think that's kind of what I was hoping immediately after the victory. And I get why they didn't because they, they did start hot. Um, they were, I think they were, I mean, they were close to first in the East, um yeah second like, behind the Cavs yeah. I think yeah <laughs> which is just remarkable <laughs> weird um, start but yeah yeah things done changed as you would say uh but yeah no I agree like I think we, we're seeing with Edmund Sumner like I think the growth from him this year has been less uh noticeable if you're not looking for it but like what I, his finishing is so good now um like he's finishing 66 percent at the rim which doesn't sound remarkable that's like top third in uh among wings um, which is pretty good, but I feel like he's slowed down a lot more. He's gotten a lot better at just being comfortable getting there. Like we're not seeing as many of the completely wild finishes he would come in with last year. You know, his, he was so inconsistent finishing at the rim. So it's been nice to see that um, he got a couple opportunities to run things with the ball in his hands yesterday. And were they perfect? No, but I think it's good to see those happen. Um, and all overall, I agree. I Goga needs to be playing every game. Uh, Edmund Sumner and Aaron Holiday should be playing double digit minutes every game um, or, you know, within reason, I guess. But um, no, don't walk it back. Double well, digits every game. I, I'll well, say it. It just it. I, I don't want to make it finite. There's always like room. Of course. Know, but yeah. Uh, yeah. But then again, it, it also brings into question. Why is Goga playing this much if you still have Miles and Domas? Like, I, I don't know. There are ways to work around it, but 
ultimately you're right. The, the team should be playing like an 11 man rotation at this point. And not that it has to be like a heavy on guys nine through 11, but there should be minutes there. Um, like, I, I don't know. It's just like with, with how well Ed's played, luckily it seems like after the Boston game, he's going to be in the rotation moving forward. Um, but that's not for sure. Cause we thought that earlier in the year after the Golden right. State game and he was right. for, for a week and then he wasn't. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I'm not really entirely sure what to expect, but I'm definitely hopeful that um, that we start to see that. And like you mentioned, I want to talk about Aaron Holiday because I think Aaron mm-hmm. Holiday is – it's hard to say that he's the most important player on the roster, but in terms of how the rest of the season is going to go, he is one of the more pivotal players on the roster because he's definitely not the most important player on the roster. But in terms of like um, – if you're looking at guys who were trade assets and I'm not saying that the Pacers should trade him, I don't necessarily think that that's the right move at all. Um, but we, we had talked about previously on how we want, or we, we hope to see Aaron become like the guy off the bench this year. Um, mm-hmm. And it just hasn't been the case. And a lot of that uh, was, I mean, he just wasn't hitting his threes, but also he wasn't really put in a great position Um he, he wasn't getting an opportunity to actually run things like he was just kind of he's been out there as a play finisher a lot rather than somebody who's starting a play. Um, and while his usage has climbed a little bit over the last month, he still is, I believe, at his career low in usage, if not right at it. Um, and again, it's only his third year, so that that helps. But at the same time, uh, I, I just we he needs to get more opportunity to do things, even if it's not pretty or not even that he needs to get more opportunity, but um there needs to be more opportunity for him to have make make mistakes um, because they're not playing pretty basketball already. Uh, you, I mean, he's he's he was a first round pick. He his deal is coming up at the end of this year. You have to see, um, or not at the end of this year. There's a there's an option. I have to say one more, yeah, yeah. There's a um, wait. Hold on, I'm looking at it just to make sure I have it right. I thought I had team it right option now. for next year. Yes, there is an option. So there's a team yep. option for next year. The team has to find out what they have in Aaron and what they're going to do with him moving forward this year. So I don't know. Uh, what are your thoughts on Aaron and where he's at? And uh, you don't have to, I, I know you're, you're, you have, you have thoughts. You don't have to share all of them, but. I'll share, I'll share a lot of them because we, we talked about it before the season where it was like, are the, is the team going to even have TJ McConnell on the roster? Like, are they going to cut him for cap saving? And now he's like the, fourth most important player on the team or something like that. Like he he's playing a ridiculous amount and it's coming at the expense of Aaron holiday. And so like, I think that it comes down to what the team. One, one, not to cut you off. I would walk it back a little bit because TJ's Frank. I mean, he's been better than Aaron holiday this year. I I don't think you were trying to say no, no, no way, but yeah, like just in, I mean, it's that's, that's what's so difficult about where the Pacers are at right now, because TJ is better in terms of winning for this team, but long-term, like we talked about at the beginning of the year, if Aaron can get to that ideal spot where he is the the first man off the bench, Mm -hmm. um, that's more ideal for the Pacers. And TJ McConnell's 28 years old. He's in the last year of his deal right now. And Aaron holiday is how old is he? Is he 24? Yeah, he's 24. Yeah, he's 24. And yet he's not made the priority on the team. I just, I, I understand McConnell does so many things and he, he's a better distributor than 
Aaron is without question. And he's incredibly important to this team being good, but like, how good are we really going to be if we're relying on TJ McConnell for 28 minutes a game? Yeah. Like we know what TJ's TJ is in the playoffs. And that's what the whole point was at the start of the season where it was like, okay, when it comes to playoff time, what are we going to do? Or, or like, is, do we really want TJ McConnell out there for 28 minutes a game? No, not really. Like some games, maybe if, it, if it's working, but you have to have, you have to know what you have in Aaron. Like you said, like he's got the rest of this year and then next year's team option. And then he can be gone or you can retain him for whatever another team decides to throw at him. But how do you know what that number is? If you don't give him an opportunity to have the ball in his hands, like he's spotted He's, relegated to a spot-up shooter for the most part right now because when TJ McConnell's on the floor, if he doesn't have the ball in his hands, he's not very effective. But he's just not playing as the the primary ball handler. And I just think that that's just squandering him a little bit. And if, you know, with as many combo guards as we have on the team, Aaron's the most valuable, like, to, to another team, to another franchise, just because he's young like like we said everybody else has another year to see what he's got as well but maybe they think they can put him in a more ideal role and get him to play better than what he's playing right now but it's just the ex i'm i struggle to to talk about fan expectations when it seems like the team still has expectations to win do you know what i mean yeah yeah no exactly um and that's what's so difficult about this year because I, I, I like I also think too like the I don't think the front office came in thinking that things were going to work out with Victor the way that they did and I think you know with K, I mean KP is pretty transparent um, like he talks about in the press conference when they acquired Karis um, you know it was more the deal kind of came out of nowhere for them and they were like we have to jump on it um, and so I think that really changed the course and trajectory of the year. And that's important to keep in mind. Like things can change on a whim like that, but it's different because that rarely happens for the Pacers. Um, and that's what's been so different about this year. Like this team is used to, to being different. And I, I, it is awful, awfully cathartic to me that there, a lot of times I've seen, you know, bitching about, well, the team should just not even this year, like last year, like the team should tank because they need a top end pick. And now there are people who the team is three games below 500, just out of the playoffs that would be in the play-in right now and this team sucks blah 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 this and that it's all like like we're talking and this is not me trying to crap on people but there's finding a middle ground and trying to understand okay this team is just not in that place yet um i i think i'm not trying to go to bat for the organization so much because i'm i'm trying to be impartial but i think it's really important that because we don't hear like i i know some like danny ainge talks to boston media like once a week that is not how the pacers go um, I think KP speak, speaks like once a month, something like that. Um, it's not super often. So in his last time that he talked, I mean, he talked about they want this to be uh, not just a one-year success. Like it's been like the last couple of years. Yes. And this, this is like just looking at like the, the Wesley Matthews pickup, things like mm. that. Like those were small moves that were to, and, and not that I criticize that. I mean, like at the time, I think it makes sense, but like just in general, like you look at, um, I can't think of a move off, off the top of my head, but you get what I'm saying. Like making little moves that push you for like a year. 
Um, what KP and this organization wants and why they brought in Nate Bjorkman is because they want to grow together. They don't want this to just be some one-year thing or a, a small time. They want it to be a core that is together for multiple years and can grow towards um, something bigger, like what happened in the 90s with Reggie Miller. Like, I don't think it's – I'm not trying to over-exaggerate. That's, you know, a, a very lofty thing to look at. Uh, and it's harder to have more long-term um, long-term con- continuity like that uh, in today's NBA. Well, that, I don't think that's like a bad thing necessarily, but point being like, I, that's what they want to build towards. And it, you have to take a step back sometimes uh, if you're going to take a step forward. Uh, and I think we've, we've really hit on that today. Like it's just, and I, I know some people are going to think we're being a little bit overly positive or maybe too, um, not critical of the team, but I think we've, we've both been fairly critical of the team um, because I think if they had maybe attacked things a little bit differently last year, they would be in a slightly more positive situation. Um, But at the same time, I don't really think you can fault them for how things have gone. Uh, And I don't know, man, we have a, we have a lot of basketball to look forward to. And I think that there's going to be a lot more uh, coming out of the rest of this year. And I, I also think, this uh, going seven and 14 over this last uh, month of basketball is a lot less indicative, or I guess it'd be a month and a half of basketball is a lot less indicative um, than the number states. I, I don't think that they are nearly that bad, but I do think just like we've talked about all of the things that are kind of influencing where the team is at, um, that it just, everything in tandem makes it a mess. Uh, the reason I think we're trying to be a little bit more positive is that if, if everybody's doom and gloom now, uh, I hope that you like, we have to be positive because this March schedule is going to be absolutely ridiculous. Um, and the, the, the expectations for the team going into Los Angeles and Denver and Brooklyn and Miami twice and Milwaukee twice and, 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 uh, Dallas, like, uh, that's just, those are a lot of very good teams that are, they have championship aspirations, whereas the Pacers really don't right now. And that's okay. It's, it's, it's okay to be less than a championship team. Um, that's something that you, you talk about often. And I agree with wholeheartedly. It's just when, when KP talks about wanting to grow this team together and all of that, um, that's where I have a bit of an issue with how they handle uh, Sumner and, and holidays minutes, yeah. because if you, if you want the team to grow together, like is, is 31 year old TJ McConnell in your three-year plan? Like is, is if that, if that's what you want, like that's fine, but then use, use what you have on the roster to uh, the assets you have on your roster to better fit that three-year plan. If you really want TJ McConnell around for the next three years, and I'd be perfectly fine with that because I love TJ McConnell. He's, I mean, he's just every, every short white guy's dream. To just <laughs> well, no, exactly. Like that. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're making a good point. Like if you're, if your plan is to have TJ McConnell being the backup point guard moving forward, then move Perfect. on from Aaron holiday. Exactly. And because, that's fine. Yeah. Like if that's what you want to do, but like, don't say you want to grow the team together and then not give Aaron holiday a chance to be the backup point guard. Because if he's just yeah. going to, if Aaron holiday is just going to be a spot up shooter, like you can get somebody who can play better defense or who's more of a wing or who can do just different things rather than just having him be a spot up shooter. Yeah. I would agree with that. 100%. Um, and also like you're mentioning, looking at March, I mean, I see like, if we're just going off the dome, 
games Detroit that, on the 24th. Yeah, off the dome games that would be winnable. There's like three. Uh, like, I mean, Detroit is still, I mean, Detroit is a tough out. This They're team, not, yeah. they were able to beat Detroit last time, but Detroit is better than uh, I think they've gotten credit for and then their record shows. Mm-hmm. Um, Miami has been probably the fifth best team in the league in, in March. I mean, in February, gosh, in March has been two days. Um, in February, yeah, I mean, they were, I think they were 10 and five in February. I think six um, straight. Yeah, they've been really good. Milwaukee is, of course, as we saw earlier, good. Um, the team really struggled with Dallas. Uh, Phoenix was a good game, but this is a very different team than when they played Phoenix the last time. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Lakers should have AD back post All Star break. Yeah. So, I mean, this team could very realistically um, lose. I mean, I mean, they could pretty realistically go like five and eleven in March, and I, I wouldn't be too surprised. And if it's worse than that, I mean, I this is not again, this is not trying to be doom and gloom, but it is. Uh, it is going to be a rough month. Uh, regardless so we and that, <laughs> this is a very negative note to leave off on i still think that there are good things to look forward to um but yeah overall but if you're looking at just the results this next month might be rough so you have to look at the process yeah i'm gonna just tweet out process over results every single day that's how it's yep, gonna work that'll work i'll retweet uh, exactly rat do you have anything else you want to share before we get out of here uh we talked a lot about aaron holiday i'm currently looking at the piece I'm writing about him and uh, we kind of talked a lot about it, but uh, please check that out when it gets posted should be sometime later tonight. Um, and then, yeah, just keep, keep being positive about the Pacers. All-star break should be fun. Cassius Stanley. Dunk yes. Uh, also, I mean, everyone I know, some of my buddies who are from, uh, from California um, over by where Cassius played, um, they are pretty confident Cassius is going to, take the dunk contest pretty easily and uh growing up watching him play uh and some of them played against him too so i uh i'm very excited to see cassius in this i uh yes yeah i think it'll be good uh, it'll be a good opportunity for him too so yeah it'll be cool um rat thank you for doing this as always everyone can find rat at rat underscore bauer on twitter um, of course read his stuff over 8.9 seconds listen to him when he comes onto the pod here um I'm excited today in, in doing a, a preview pod. We're looking ahead to the Cavs matchup on Wednesday. Um, is it on Wednesday? I think it's on Wednesday. It is I, on my Wednesday. week is so, so, so behind. I don't know. Time is meaningless anymore. Um, you heard them already. I'm joined by Chris Manning and Evan Damro, who are two friends of mine, who are also are the great editors over at Fear the Sword and host Locked on Cavs. Guys, how are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful. I got to confuse Evan twice before we started recording, and that always makes me happy. Um Great's a bit of a stretch, but I appreciate that. Um, Chris, you just talk about soccer stuff, and I just put my hand over my head. Hey, honestly, I do too. Head. I just knew who Christian Pulisic is because he, yeah, actually, like, okay, we had Larry Nance on the show once, and then Chris just took a solid 20 minutes to talk soccer, and I literally just sat back and just like fucked around on my phone for those Most, 20 minutes. <laughs> it was, uh, it was my like heat check moment, like I just was in my Lou Will bag, just like going off for my little, yeah. my little, my little, my little stretch there, but yes, it's. Evan, just I'm just saying, not knowing who Christian Pulisic is, it's just like that's like level one. Come on. Anyway, yeah, I'm Chris Manning. I am. He's not exactly. I'm a human calculator. Okay. I love. We, we I'm not even. Like, 
Evan, I haven't seen you in a year. And the first time I, I don't know whether I'm going to like give you a hug or if I'm going to like tackle you the first time I see you. Like I haven't decided yet. It might be the spur of the moment decision. You know, Those two exactly things, they might not be mutually up, exclusive. So like, I mean, no, it might be a little bit. Yeah, it might thing. be both. But Evan wrestled in high school. So this could be like, I can oh, get my shit. ass. All right. Yeah. Watch out. Evan's got that little psycho in him. And I, you know, yeah. just, it's trouble. <laughs> you wrestled, <laughs> watch Evan. Out, you, you wrestled, Evan. That's part of the deal. Okay. All right. Okay. Anyway, anyway, <laughs> I'm just getting Indiana bullied Pacers. left and right. This is an answer. Considering considering the hijinks you pull on our show, this is this is deserved. And I apologize, Mark, for you. Oh, dude, you're this. fine. This is friendly banter, you know, at the start. Uh, gosh, who am I, Katie Nolan? Now, shout out Katie Nolan. She's fantastic. I don't know if you guys listen yes. to her podcast, but it's wonderful. Fantastic. Great. Um, the the bit she did where she had the people that tweeted. I don't know if you saw this on on Instagram, but she had the people that were like tweeting that they about like missing field goals come and take the field goals at the same length from like when the kickers yes. miss field goals. Incredible fantastic. because she made yeah. a guy kick like a fifty yard field goal, and he's like, oh, and he you could just you can see them processing in their brain. They're like, oh wow, I really yeah. can't do this. Like, yes, it's it's amazing. I love that stuff. Um, well, I mean, all right. So looking at the first thing I want to talk about today, you know, Cavs. They uh, started out the year, I think it was 10 and 9, or I know 10 and 9, then 10 and 11 at one point. Um, season has really shifted since then. It's starting to tilt back. Um, but just to give a quick rundown, what would you say uh, if you could grade how the season has gone so far for the Cavs? Um, what would you guys put it at? Or, or how would you say this has played out to your expectations for the season? Evan, you take this first because I, I want to. I want you to set our, our baseline here a little bit. I'm curious. We haven't actually talked about this. Um, yeah, we're actually going to talk about this. I think, and then probably when we have uh, Mark on to record yeah, for Wednesday. our show on Wednesday. Yeah, but uh, this is a little bit of a hint tease for our show. But um, when it comes to the Cavs this season, my expectations were pretty low for the most part. Um, and going into this season, at least, like this Cavs team, I didn't think was going to be very good. Kevin Love was dealing with an injury in the preseason, I want to say, and then it kind of flittered up in the beginning of the season as well. So, like, my expectations cratered at that point because I didn't know what I was going to get with Darius Garland. I Colin Sexton, I knew was like a known commodity. I didn't know what I was going to get with Jetty Osmond. Larry Nance Jr. was showing flashes of being really good. I didn't know what to expect with Isaac Okoro, especially in a shortened season, but they've really produced and they've been kind of fun. Like, the young core is really had some positive returns like uh, especially jared allen after the acquisition went the james harden trade but um it's just yeah i didn't really have that high of expectations so i'm pretty pleased with the results i can't be too too upset like i know there's some Cavs fans who think this is a playoff team because they've won three in a row heading into their matchup against the rockets but um i don't think that's realistic at all and i know chris and i go back and forth on them whether or not being their play in team or anything but they give them like an overall letter grade i give them like a solid b like they're not like blowing the doors off like taking the league by storm but they're doing a lot better than i expected them to yeah i think if i were to put a grade on it it's probably like a b minus and um i don't think would. well evan i don't think they're that good like i think an a would be like they've blown the doors off i think the first month of the season it was an a but i think considering like the drumming situation considering like they had a 10 game losing streak considering there was a two week stretch where they were giving up like 130 points per hundred possessions. Like there's all these things about their season that was really bad, but I think you look at this season and I come away feeling really optimistic about Darius Garland, about Colin Sexton. Um, I think getting Jared Allen for what they got him for in particular is just like a really good deal. And he's been phenomenal. I think Isaac Okoro is growing in, in front of us in real time right now. And I think that's what you're looking for more than anything else. I think getting beyond that would be exceeding expectations. Um, I think, you know, I, I think it's a very interesting position they're in, but I, I think it's like a B minus because they're, they're frisky. 
there's they're building blocks with some of the guys there. And they're, I think this is a, a, a year where you're laying the groundwork to find out what you have in some of these guys. And then you move forward. And I think that's what they're getting so far. And it should, and, that, and again, I think that's without Kevin love, without Larry Nance for big chunks of the season with the Drummond situation and, and how I think he bogged things down for a little bit there. I think all those things were negative impacts and you're still learning about what these guys can do. And I think ultimately that that's a win in a lot of ways. And frankly, like they needed, like it, it can't have been easy for them in ways that we probably don't even know, I think, to come back after a year. And that that whole thing is just weird. And there's no way to know, like, like some of the impacts of that. And I think we're seeing them probably work off the rust in some ways, too, frankly. I mean, like Darius Garland, like just think about his curve and how weird that is. Like there's no way to really kind of compare it to anything else. But he just played maybe the best one of the best games of his career in a lot of ways against Philly over the weekend. So it's it's I think it's still an ongoing thing, too. Yeah, definitely. I think. Uh, just to provide my perspective on it, like I do a lot of stuff league wide to try and um, just keep a gauge on everything. And I think I uh, I talked with Evan about this. I, I, I want to say it was preseason. We did a pod and um, mm-hmm. we talked about how JB uh, Bickerstaff was really hammering home how he wanted this team to have a defensive identity. Um, and so I would say, like, like you're mentioning, like the first first season, I mean, first month of the season is like total A. Uh, the Drummond stuff is probably less on JB, more on just every everyone involved in the party, to be completely honest with that. Um, but I think you look at overall, they have instilled that defensive identity, and you're seeing them form what they want to do as a team, which frankly never really happened uh, under John Beeline's short tenure. So um, I think that's a total win from the get-go. Um, Pour one out for John Beeline. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to pour one out for John Bayline, to be completely honest. Uh, but you he don't understand the concept of pouring one out, but I just want to give him that shout out. Nevertheless, <laughs> it's probably true. Um, old for him. <laughs> oh man. Uh, well looking at, okay. So first thing I do want to talk about though, uh, Colin Sexton and Darius Garland is something I'm looking at writing about because I, uh, I am a, definitely a Sexton truther. I've always loved Colin Sexton's ability. And um, I think people have graduated past the idea of, oh, he's a six man at the highest level. Um, but I still have seen that thrown around before. But what have you guys seen from Sexton and Garland this year that um, has impressed you most? Because obviously they've both made strides. I mean, Garland went from being a guy who uh, really struggled last year to this year and has done some pretty incredible things. And like you mentioned, uh, the game against the Sixers was fantastic. He was doing some great stuff in manipulation with, with the ball in his hands. Um, and Colin Sexton continues to just be uh, a really impressive player in my eyes. And he's made strides this year too. Um, but yeah, just uh, from there. Chris, you can take this one because uh, Mark is like Tommy Lee Jones in Captain America and he threw the live grenade and I want you to jump on it to save me from the Wrath of Cavs Twitter. So <laughs> I, the floor is yours. Okay, so I'll start with Garland because I think for me, I keep hammering this and it's probably getting to a point where it's like half a bit in my brain, but I think he's grown in ways that we maybe haven't talked about enough because I think his passing has become yeah. his best attribute. And I, I, I keep going back and I've done this a couple of times where I've gone back and read different draft profiles of him and talk to people about this. And it's like, I think his, and even how the Cavs sold him was very much, okay, he's going to be a scorer. He's going to be able to bomb threes from really deep. And I think his best attribute now has become his, his vision. The lob threat with the lob stuff with Jared Allen is obviously, I think the, the, the forefront of this, but like you're seeing secondary reads where, you know, you have him, um, you know, kind of manip- like manipulating guys correctly to kind of, and, and finding sex and cutting from the corner to who will then feed, 
uh, Jared Allen. You will find him, you know, driving in and like kind of just hesitating just enough to open up his space or or use the threat of his passing to open up shots now a little bit. I think you're seeing stuff from him that is what you need from him, especially if you're going to go with this duo kind of going forward in some way. Sexton, I think, is just he's he's a legit scorer. Uh, I think I think we need to see where the three-point shooting goes. I think that's still the one thing you want to see him turn up that volume and really kind of ramp it up a little bit. But I I think we're in a situation where with him where he's just proven himself to be really good. And I think he'll hit another level. He'll do something to kind of take it up. And even his passing is a little bit better. Like when, the last couple of weeks when his scoring dipped a little bit, his assists did go up, which I think is an encouraging thing that he was finding ways to impact the game still. Um, I, I think I, again, I think there's still long-term doubts about what you, how you can build with two smaller guards. I think, you know, if you can get a big playmaker, uh, like a Cade would, would kind of unlock a lot of stuff and, and a core can certainly cover them defensively, I think ideally. And, and maybe that's part of the plan of drafting him, but I, I think they're both progressing. And I think if you just look at that Philly game from over the weekend, they were the reason they won that game. Like Jared Allen had been the best player over the last week or so before that, but it was Garland and Sexton who kind of think led them to victory in that Philly game. And um, that that's kind of what you're hoping to see from them is that they're the ones kind of fueling a lot of what's going on. And I, and I think they are. Yeah. And I agree with that. And I think the biggest thing like unlocked on Cavs, and if you talk to Chris and I individually, when it comes to Darius Garland is we give his rookie season a DNP if we had to give it a grade, because it felt like every time he tried to capitalize on any momentum or just a healthy body and injury would come along and just kind of, pull the rug out from underneath him and he's missed eight games so far in this first half of the season so he isn't staying healthy is sometimes still a struggle for him but he's you no know, he's starting to look more con- consistent out there and like chris said and that win over philadelphia against you know the eastern conference leading philadelphia 76ers uh darius garland and colin sexton both were a key reason in that win and it, there's a lot of positives to take from this Again, I don't know if the theoretical sex land backcourt is sustainable long-term for this Cavs team, but um, maybe the thing's changing in the draft. If you do get a Cade Cunningham, you kind of blow this up where you play all three together and get real funky with it. But um, I just think the Cavs are doing all right. And I think they've added personnel, like a lot of big bodies, three through five to play alongside a smaller backcourt just to kind of cover up some of the defensive deficiencies but i do wonder what decisions the Cavs will make this summer like colin sex is going to be extension eligible i wonder how much money the Cavs are going to have to throw at him i know it's reported that it's a max at this point and i wonder if that actually is the case but we will see what happens there um things could shift dramatically between now and then if we have this conversation a year from now too for the Cavs. but for now yeah no the returns have been promising for both of them and sexton especially i will add one thing there um is and it's that the Cavs themselves and the, the players themselves have mentioned like the, the McCollum Lillard partnership as like a template. I don't even know if that, I keep thinking like the more and more we see them grow, I don't even know if that's like really applicable because it, like they're just so different from what those guys do. None of them are ever going to necessarily be the maestro that Lillard is in the pick and roll, you know, McCollum for being sort of like an old schooly kind of player. Like it's one of the most creative shot makers in the league and like, I don't know what the template. I, I struggle to really find a template for what, if you're going to build with them, if they're a little smaller and, and you're, and you're not kind of going things the other way. And, and one of those guys is not the Lillard. Like I think Sexton's really good. I think Garland's on his way to being pretty freaking good. But if the, one of those guys isn't Dame, then, then what are you doing? I, I think it's, I think it's still an open question. Um, the yeah, contract so it's, thing it's, for it's Colin, more Mike, it's more Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell. I got you, man. Go ahead. Yeah. 
future Cleveland Cavaliers shooting guard, Donovan Mitchell, if we're going to continue the transitive property of Utah Jazz shooting guards eventually being <laughs> traded to the it's, Cleveland Cavaliers. It's, it's a pipeline from Salt Lake City to Cleveland where every shooting guard that once played for the Jazz somehow ends up in that Cleveland. Because remember, Clarkson gets sent hey, Ronnie Brewer never played for Cleveland, though. So Rajon Tucker did. It was technically oh, on the Cavs for a, for, a, for a minute for cash. Didn't really count, but but like I, I like is like a Sexton's contract is just going to be fascinating. I, I think that will be one of the more fascinating how the Cavs handle that and how Sexton wants what he wants and how he handles it will just be, I think, really, really fascinating. And it's sort of crazy that he's already extension eligible because like it feels like he just got in the league. Oh, I know. And it's already yeah. it's already just like, hey, like back up my Brinks truck. I would like to get paid now. Exactly. I mean, like, I don't think he's going to be like a max player, but he's he's, he's going to be close to it. He's going like, to ask. He's going to ask for the max. I'm pretty sure. And like, I mean, sure. barring how this, the, I mean, with how the rest of the season goes and maybe next season, like, I mean, it's close. It's close. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Well, but uh, Mark, I have to ask you this. Is this kind of like a struggle the Pacers ran into with Vic not too long ago? And I mean, some of their other star <laughs> players you're like you have to pay players to stay in these small markets. And I think Colin kind of falls into that line too, where, yeah, he's a not a quote unquote star player or he's an all star caliber player at times. But do you think like I just I feel like there's a little bit of a parallel there. Like Colin has like the Cavs might have to pony up the cash in order to keep him like the same thing with Sacramento having to pony up the cash to keep De'Aaron Fox. Like, I don't know. Do you think the Cavs would take that Pacers route and just say, all right, see you later and just trade him or no? No, I don't think they should personally. I mean, like just in my opinion. Uh, it's better to have, and this, I always hate talking about players in this way, but just when I think about things cap wise, you have to talk about in terms of assets. Um, it is, as we've seen with Boston, it is better to have the guy on contract than have this mythical TPE. Like, and even you're, you're not probably not getting a TPE if you trade Colin Sexton or whatever, but point being like, it's better to have the ability to move something than to have nothing at all. Um, and like, I think with looking at Colin Sexton, even if you maybe do end up overpaying him, it's a little different from Vic because Vic, like, I think if he doesn't get injured, I mean, he's a max player. Like he was a borderline top 10 player in 17, 18. Um, and he was on that precipice. Like, I think if he has another season, like he did in 17, 18 and 18, 19, and he doesn't get injured. He's, I mean, home run. You're, you're, you're giving him that extension ASAP. Um, but then, you know, with the injuries just made everything murky too. And then also you throw in uh, his age. Like he's a guy who's pretty close. I mean, he's 28, he's turning 29 this year. He'll be heading out of his athletic prime uh, if he hasn't already. Um, and it's different with Colin. Cause he's what, I think he's, he's like my age. He's like 23 right now. So if that, I think he's 20, 22, 23. Um, so, so old right now, that's the goal. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, just in terms of that, like I think I'm more willing to overpay somebody like Colin Sexton and especially to like, um, I think it's worth like making the payment and trying to see what you can, what happens and what you can do to build, build around it. Cause like you're mentioning, like you can't build like uh, a big market team. If you are the Cavs or the Pacers, like you're not, uh, unless you have LeBron who luckily was born in not Cleveland, Akron. I would always, I always love pointing that out to people because Akron, I had so much family in Akron growing up and I always got annoyed when people said that LeBron was from Cleveland. I'm like, dude, no, he grew up like 40 minutes from Cleveland. What are we doing here? Um, do people just not notice he signs all of his social media stuff? Hashtag just a kid from Akron. And then hashtag exactly. for greatness with the rocket emoji. That's a great point. That's a great point. I wish people realized that. But um, no, I and also too, I just think, I think Sexton, I, I, I think the world of Colin. Like, I think he's just going to keep getting better. Like his work ethic's ridiculous. And I think work ethic's like the most 
overrated, overhyped, over-talked about thing ever, but Colin Sexton is like the definition of somebody who works their ass off to get better, and you've seen the results of it. But uh, that's my long-winded way of saying I would definitely um, – I would pay Colin Sexton if I'm the Cavs because at, at this point too, like if you trade him and you're getting back like draft capital or something, I mean, what's the point? You know, well, let me like, ask you this because my buddy asked me this. Um, if let's say the Cavs finished the fifth pick for the third year in a row, and God willing, the first team, the first pick said, okay, we'll take five in Colin Sexton, would you trade Colin Sexton to draft Kate Cunningham if that was the key? Ah, uh, man. Okay, that's that's actually a better question. Um, I'll answer it. I would. I, I I said yeah too, and then our listeners. Because here's, really here's, here, here's, here's the here's 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 the thing. I think Sexton's really good. I think if you look at how every most every really good team is being is built, and like if Donovan Mitchell is like the exception to this, and he's still a little bigger than what Sexton is. Like a big creator is an is a must. Yeah. A big a big creator who can get their own shot off against bigger guys is their own thing, and the Cavs just don't have that right now. Um. Like you saw that you saw like in the in the game they had against OKC, like one of the things that I think really differentiated Shiga's Alexander from Sexton, same draft class. Um, Sexton, you know, has certain things I think he's better at. Shea has stuff he's better at. I think one of the things that differentiates them is that Shea can just get his shot off at weird yeah, angles. Yeah, he has the size to really yeah. get get what he, he wants. The, yes, and Sexton like doesn't, and Sexton. Sexton is still developing like the craft and you should need to kind of make up for that. Like he's still kind of figuring that, that slower manipulative gear out a little bit. Um, but it also just depends on what you think of Kate. And like, I don't, I don't think we know what the cabs necessarily think of Kate or, or whatever, but I, I think from all accounts, when you talk to Scott's about it and you watch him, you're just like, that's the big player you could build with. And like him and Garland and Okora would be like dynamite one through one, two, three, like they'd be incredible one, two, three. Um, with some ability to slide Windler in to play some two or or whatever, like you could do some really fun stuff there. Um, I'm just gonna, but I mean, Chris I think purple, like, and then Colin Sexton's gonna be young Gamora when that trade happens. Where did it cost? Where did it cost? <laughs> everything? Um, everything? Yeah. Well, no, I mean, I guess, I guess if you bring it up, like, probably yes, just because with how tied in I am with draft Twitter, like, I think, I mean, Cade's gonna be really damn good. Um, I trust the people who are telling me that and I trust what I've seen. Um, I, I think if it's a different conversation, if this Cavs team is like two more years down the road, that's just my opinion. Cause I think they're like with what they're building towards, like it would be harder to do that. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I think so. Not to throw Colin under the bus, but I think that makes sense. Like, ultimately, it's a, t- it's a tough hypothetical. It is I also, a tough hypothetical. I'll, I'll say this too. I think if they did it, and I would understand this if you're the, the fan base like that, that is engaged, probably would lose its mind a little bit. And I think the organization oh, would, yeah. have a, would, would have a hard time pulling the, the decision lever on that because I think like they've invested a lot in branding concepts and making him like a, someone that they, they want the fans to care about. Like they've nominated him for so many player of the week awards and pushed him for all-star and pushed him for our rookie. Like they've made a really concerted effort to, to make him like the face of what they're building here. Um, and it's like, that shouldn't necessarily come down to it in brass tacks when you're like deciding on how to best build your franchise. It's like, you've done that, but there is somebody said that like, they've really put him front and center in what they're doing. And like, it's probably hard to walk that back to some extent, right? Like it's probably hard to jettison that guy. It's cold. It's a business. Like, but yeah. that would be a particularly cold thing yeah. to do if you've, 
made him part of what you're doing. And he's really embraced being in Cleveland and, and building this. And, and you're just like, all right, we're going to trade you for the shiny new toy. Like that would be, I think, a very hard sell in a lot of ways if you did that. Yeah. No, I, I, I totally agree with that. It's a, it's kind of a fine balance a little bit. And I, that's part of the reason I'm not a GM or front office person. Cause I think way too much about the human side to like, be able to make uh, some of the decisions like that um, to get to a, like slightly less overarching stuff. Um, you mentioned a little bit earlier on, on Sexton and Garland and their three point making right now, or more three point attempt rate. Um, and that's been an issue for the whole Cavs team. Uh, just in general, like they are not taking a lot of threes. Part of it's they don't have a lot of great shooters on the roster. Um, but at the same time, how are you guys feeling about that in general? Because I feel like that's something that ultimately you want to see change up because the offense has been, it, it bogs down really quickly. Um, part of the issues too is like, I mean, Sexton and Garland are both really good three-point shooters, but Sexton is not really comfortable doing anything off the dribble yet. Like he can do like a one dribble pull up or something, but like, uh, he's not running off screens and doing Kyle Korver shit to get the ball. Like it's, if he, ca- if he can catch and shoot, he'll do it. But um, it, how do you feel overall about the three point shooting? Cause that, that, that is something that stands out a lot and look at the offense. The they, Cavs are kind of antithetical to a modern NBA offense. Like they really prioritize, at least with Andre Drummond starting, they really prioritize getting him involved and just letting him bang down low and miss a zillion times. And uh rebounded a million times as well like i'm looking at it now they are 30th in three-point attempts 30th in three-point makes and they're 27th overall in three-point percentage which isn't ideal um that kind of puts them in the midst of the wizards the rockets the thunder uh the pistons and surprisingly the lakers in terms of three-point percentage but the majority of those teams are rebuilding squads minnesota's in there as well so the Cavs just have a weird kind of vanilla blase offensive design. It's starting to look a little better. They're attempting more threes. They're getting Dylan Windler good looks as well. Um, Chris can talk more about the double drags that they run, but I think losing Kevin Love really had a huge impact on this because like naturally Kevin Love would attempt multiple three-pointers a night. And I know the Cavs players and the coaching staff said like to attempt more three-pointers, but like you said, they don't really necessarily possess the personnel right now to do that either. I know Sexton has shown potential. I know Garland has shown potential. Kevin Love's been hurt. Dylan Windler's shown potential. Larry Nance is not a confident shooter, but he has a good enough shot, so I can lump him in there as well. It's just, it's a weird cast that the Cavs have that doesn't really add up to a modern NBA offense at the moment, and I think it's just part of the teardown process too. Like eventually, maybe the Cavs will have that, but right now, it's just a little wonky, a little weird. Um, and I don't know, Chris, you can take the floor. I, I talked over you right away, but I, I've been chewing on this question for a while. No, we, we've talked about this a lot. I think it's, um, I think they need to be willing to take more of them. I, I think there's a hesitancy in Garland and Sexton to take them. Um, I don't know why. I don't know if it's just like in the DNA I of their games. Because they're so obsessed with making the right play for their teammates. Like Sexton is obsessed with being a good teammate and like Garland more but, often but, than not, we'll pass up a wide-open three-point attempt to a teammate to try and get them involved okay. instead. And it's so frustrating to watch. Okay, but is it also like that I, – I get that, but that's like a good spin on it. And I think that's part of it. But I also think there's probably like – it is just like a comfort for them. Like Sexton's comfort shot is the middle of the floor. Like it, it, it yeah. just is. Like he's he's more comfortable there. Darius – um does i i don't know if he's fully comfortable launching three-pointers yet like i think if he was you would see him take more step backs like he like again he did this against philly he took like a clean 
properly orchestrated step back and nailed it. Like he has that in his bag when I think he feels comfortable going to it. I just don't know if they're fully comfortable with those shots yet. Um, and I, I do, I think defenses are like, I also think if you just watch defenses, defenses are like, please take those. Or they're like, okay, take as many floaters as you want. Like, please. That's what the Clippers did. Darius talked about this the other day. Um, he was just like, the Clippers were just letting us take however many floaters we wanted to. And we did it and it didn't work. And like, you have that. Um, I also think, I think the Kevin Love part of this is real because I think, They've, they've started to run funky versions of that double drag set, which is like the staggered screeners on one side of yeah. the floor. Um, like they've actually used Garland as a screener, which I think is really fascinating. Like they had him as like the, as like where Kevin Love would be in that set. Um, and I want to see Sexton do it because I think Sexton could be a little more dynamic as like a, as a popper. And then he's just a little quicker, but Kevin is going to just unlock him on. He's going to just launch threes. Like he's just going to step into them. He's going to take like quick off ball ones. Like you're going to see stuff with, with Kevin that will juice that up. And if like their three point rate stays low when he's back, then it's just like, okay, the DNA of this is broken. Like if that's the case, if it stays low and they're in the percentage, like stays bad. Like I I think then you're just like, okay, the the DNA and this is broken a little bit. And we need, you need to adjust like Dylan Windler, Colin or Colin Sexton, Garland love, Okoro now, I guess, who's launching them. Like you need these guys to just, I think, take them and and figure it out. Um, you you want to encourage young guys to take threes as well because like that's the problem with Okoro is like the Cavs coaching staff really had to coax him and like beg him to take three pointers as teammates too. Teammates too, and I just think that's a good thing. Let these young guys learn from their mistakes and maybe have a little bit more confidence and just familiarity with taking threes. It's just this. Cavs offense like they joke about it being back in the 80s but it really is an 80s style offense and sometimes it is aesthetically very unpleasing to watch I will say it is better post Drummond because you're getting more it's more fluid like Jared Allen is just a more fluid center if you're going to run lobs and you don't post up as much with Jared like it's just going to open things up a little bit um and I and I think little I think little stuff like I think Windler look get looking like a real NBA player for a little bit here is like is a win for you in that sense um I, I like, I hope Lamar Stevens just starts taking threes too, honestly. Like I, I, I want to just see him try because yeah. if he hits threes, like he's can be like your 10th guy probably. But if like he, if he's going to be like a mid range guy, then it's like, okay, like, is he going to have to be like an actual four where he's like functionally like in the dunker spot and like, it's clogging up the lane a little bit. Like that's, that's one of those things where you have to just see if they can do it or not. Um, that's why like Torian Prince probably helps this team, even though he's like, probably someone you could try and flip. It's like, he's going to shoot threes and make them in a decent clip. And it's why like Jetty Osmond for like all of the warts he's had this year, like him launching threes is sort of like, like someone has to do it, you know? Yeah, and exactly. it's, it's not like always the best shots. And I don't think the Cavs are particularly happy with, with him at this point, but um, he's at least like taking threes. They're a weird team, man. I don't know. Yeah. I They're like, really funkily built They're Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I don't know if I can even say built. I mean, they're really funkily conglomerated they're, they're because like, you have a lot yeah. of, a lot of things going on. They're like when you like build a puzzle and like you think it's the right piece, but it's not. And then you like jam it in a little bit. So it like fits because you want to be done, but it's like, it doesn't quite work. Cause like something chips somewhere else. And like, you could tell, like, they need a real backup point guard. Like, Delhi, yeah. not like I, I, Delhi's probably a little washed, but like, they could use him to just move the ball and like do stuff. Um, like, I'm working on this because I have a really hard time like evaluating any of this sometimes because it's like, okay, none of this is optimized. Like, none of this is like in a, like, you're learning stuff, obviously, but like the big picture stuff, I have a hard time like sussing out because I, like, it doesn't feel complete. Like, I can watch Indiana. 
and I can be like, okay, like I'm learning what this team is in real time because like they have their core, mm-hmm. they have a new coach, like you're learning in real time. And it all feels like it's all important information in some ways. I have sometimes with a team like Cleveland, I have a hard time like discerning what is super valuable and what is not because like Larry Nance hasn't played in weeks and he was having a really good season. Kevin Love has played one game this year. Like there's all this weird stuff where it's like it mucks it up in terms of my picture of what's going on. Yeah. I mean, that's what I'm trying to figure that out this year too. Like I, uh, I'll, I always like set up the day, either the day before or the night before, like the slate of games I want to watch the next day um, or rewatch some stuff too. And, uh, and then I'll go back through like the, the like I'll, I normally check the box for before I watch just So I know if there's anything else I want to like check out for them. Like shit, Katie and James Harden ended up not playing in this game or like, there's just so many moving parts, like looking at the Lakers right now, like, yeah, they've been on kind of a skid, not enough of a skid as has been made out to be. They're still second in the West. Get over it. Um, you can tell I grew up in Cleveland. Um, but like, I mean, yeah, there, it's just so hard to, to really tell what is what. But I think it's more of like, I think the way I'd say it is looking at the process instead of the results, um, like trying to decipher what's going on instead of what the result is, has been important for me, like, especially with the Pacers too, like, because they're missing, I mean, TJ Warren and Karis LeVert are two of their top four or five players on the team. Um, so, I mean, I've tried to keep that in mind. Fans have not done a great job of keeping that in mind. Um, just to be completely blunt, like I kind of expected the Pacers to be a 500 team this year, especially after trading Vic. I was like, okay, well, yeah, if, if this team is struggling to be a play-in team, I wouldn't be shocked. Like there's just not a lot of, uh, not a lot of ball handling, not a lot of shot making without, two of the guys who do that the most, you know? Um, so it's more just like, okay, well, I see what the Pacers are doing. They're trying to, everything they want to do is get to the rim, but they have a lot of guys who are not great at finishing at the rim, which makes it difficult. Taking shots at the rim is good, um, but they really don't have a lot of ability to, like the, the the whole basis of what they want to do, and it worked at the beginning of the year, drive to the rim, if you don't have an open look, kick it out and they will kick the ball around, find somebody open and then do it again or take an open shot. And that worked with the gravity of Vic playing off of Malcolm and, and Domas too. Um, but now, I mean, we're seeing teams who are just exclusively not doubling to modest bonus or doubling late. And uh, like the Celtics and the Knicks have both, both did it in the last two games where um, instead of doubling him right away, they're, they're cheating in after he makes his first move to go up to score. So like now, a lot of the off ball movement that the Pacers were doing was predicated on once the first initial action happens. So once the double happens, that's like the initial advantage for the, for the offense. And then they start doing a lot of their off ball stuff, but now you're seeing off ball stuff just not happening because there's nothing really um, like teams don't have to account for Justin holiday doing something off the dribble. Like he's a great shooter. Um, He can attack a closeout every once in a while, but he, who is, I mean, He's not going to be killing you uh, with some skip pass out of the corner. Like, um, so a lot of that is just trying to trying to decipher that is difficult, but yeah, I, I completely concur with that and, uh, and agree with that. How does it feel though, to be under Bjergsen now? Because I noticed the Pacers went from 27th and three point attempts last year to 19th. I know, that was kind of the big, I mean, when the Cavs played Indiana in the preseason, they attempted, I think, what would have been an NBA regular season record for three-pointers attempted, if I'm yep. remembering this correctly. But how how's that experience been for you so far? Because I'll admit, I haven't watched a ton of Pacers ball unless the Cavs are playing them. But, like, 
I feel like fans have to be kind of pleased with some of the results so far, at least compared to what McMillan was running the year before. It's actually kind of funny because last year, a lot of people were complaining about the team not taking enough threes. And now in some regards to complain about the team taking too many threes, uh, which I find a little bit comical because they're not even taking that many. And I, I actually, I've been comfortable with how many they're taking because of how much it's like their first in rim attempts by like a pretty decent margin right now. Um, and they're not, they don't force a lot of threes. Although there are some threes that I like, I don't love, like there's some where you can maybe kick it around a little bit more. Um, but it's, I think it's been good. The only thing that's been uh, different is they went from being obviously like the top mid range team in the league last year uh, in terms of both. Uh, I think they were, I know they were number one in attempts and they were close to number one in, in percent made. Uh, but now they are either 29th or 30th. I, I looked I looked yesterday, so I can't remember if it's the same, but it's 29th or 30th in mid-range shots attempted this year. That's the only thing that I would kind of like to see different because they have a lot of guys on the roster who are capable of hitting mid-range shots at above league average. Um, so finding that kind of mix, I would prefer in a, in, a, in a sense. Like I don't think that they should be taking less threes, but – I do think they could uh, – they kind of do, like, rim or nothing sometimes, and I wish that they would attempt some stuff from, like, close rim. Like, Demonis Sabonis has cut out a lot of his mid-range shots, um, and teams just don't really care that he's taking threes to an extent. And he's shot well from three, but I do wish that he would just sometimes – like, not always. Like, I, I'm cool with him taking threes, but um, just the, the threat of him doing it and stretching out defenses is good. But I want him to – there are times where I'm like, okay, well, if you take like an 18 footer, it wouldn't, it's not the worst thing because you shot like 46, 47% on them last year. Like, um, but no, overall it's been uh, it's been really good to see how much that's changed in the offense, but also a little bit of a, uh, I don't want to say a kick in the ass, but it's just kind of interesting looking back because for the last three years before this year, every single preseason, there was the same speech of, oh, well, we're going to take more threes. We're really prioritizing that this year. Then they'd finish bottom five in the league and threes attempted. And it's like, you see just, just like that with yeah. largely the same roster. Um, it, it shifts that much in, in, in one season. So clearly it was not that much of an emphasis, but my, my apologies. It's Bjorkgren. Um, oh no, you're good. My, don't worry about I it. It's, it's a hard name to pronounce. I, so I don't correct. I, I, I called him Bjorkgren, which is uh team solo mid reference for league of legends fans at home <laughs> uh, but no that's that's good to see um and i guess i gotta ask you this too because again i don't really i haven't asked you how do you feel about the karis lavert edition like i thought that was a good pickup for the pacers and i think kind of silly the rockets not to take because i if he stuck with houston i feel like it would have been a better return than hopefully them hopefully hitting on all these picks because i feel like lavert's a pretty good pick. i mean i think that because people focus on the Cavs getting a really good return with Jared Allen and Torian Prince. He's played well for the Cavs, but Jared Allen's been the main focus here. But obviously, Karis LeVert's been sidelined with his recovery and everything. But he should be returning, hopefully, by the All-Star break. Like, that has to be an odd. Like, the Pacers have to be big winners in this trade, too. It's just no one's been able to see it yet, right? Yeah. Um, I think it was fantastic, personally. I'm higher on Karis's game than than, uh, than a lot of people I know. Um oh. I think you that and me both brother. I, I mean, I, I think he's, I was a little yeah. bummed. He didn't end up with the Cavs. He would have been nice on the Cavs. Like he, that's the good. I mean, he fits in like kind of anywhere in a bit. Um, I am really interested to see how he fits into the offense. Cause um, like, if you just look top down, so starting five is obviously miles Turner, Domas, um, TJ Warren, Karis Levert and Malcolm Brogdon. That's a lot of guys who, who are good at taking shots. Um, 
So I don't, I don't know how that fits out um, or like how they're going to make that shift, but it's better to have a lot of guys who can make shots than a lot of guys who can't make shots. Um, I think just looking at the whole Vic situation, and I was talking about this this morning, um, but I think you look at it, the, the Pacers knew that Vic wasn't going to come back or he wasn't going to sign uh, with them. And they also weren't willing to, to offer him the, the kind of money that would have made him stay. Like, I really think if the Pacers had been willing to give him a max, he would have stayed. Um, but I, at the same time, I would not give him a max right now. Uh, and I think that's justified. Um, so the fact that you're able to get back Karras, who is, I mean, he was playing at a really good clip um, for the most part. Like he's, in, he was on a poor contact in Brooklyn. Like, um, he's not good without the ball in his hands, to be frank. Like he's not a good catch and shoot guy. Um, he's not really great spotting up. He could be a lot better as a cutter, which I'm, I'm hopeful he will be in this offense. But um, overall, when you're able to get somebody who's like cost controlled, um, is younger and already has done pretty good things in the league uh, for somebody who's on an expiring that is, you know, not really playing super well. Um, I think it was definitely a good return. And also too, I mean, he's just, awesome guy i know he's from ohio i think he went to pickerington north um and uh almost evan's gonna run here almost committed to was was committed to ohio university yeah no i remember that and uh did a late workout for beeline and committed to committed to michigan at the last minute but yeah, yeah. he's a he's a columbus guy the the pacers just as a note on this for me um fascinate me as a potential Cavs analog because they're obviously further ahead but they're and it's different because they have the two bigs versus the two guards or two creators, whatever you want to say. Mm. But like they they have this point where it's like, okay, you're trying to be competent every year. You went from a coach who was sort of maybe a little vanilla, but a steady hand, had a good patience in the locker room, to someone more innovative, uh, in theory, coming from the Nick Nurse school. And you're trying to tinker and get another level up without ever tearing down. I think that's where the Cavs would ultimately like to be. I don't think the Cavs want to be a team that are like dependent on lottery luck and low. I don't, I think ideally they have, they used all their lottery luck in the three yeah, they, years they, LeBron was gone. Like they, I'm, it's, they, it's, they, no. they got it all. And then it, they burned it all talking about. I've never seen a team like the Cleveland Cavaliers have worse lottery luck period. Like <laughs> worse lottery decisions maybe, but lottery yeah. luck. I don't know about that. I, I will never forget being on Twitter when they won the Bennett pick and like my, I had tweet deck open and it was just like, I couldn't keep up because of the amount of people that were like freaking out. And it was just told people were like, oh, they won another pick. Oh my God. Or maybe that was the, yeah. Wiggins. it might've been the Wiggins one. I think it was, yeah, the, I think Wiggins it was the Wiggins one. one. The Bennett's because it was Bill Simmons who was complaining. He was SMHing. Like, Evan, that's wow. like six years ago. We're so old. We're so old. Um, well, no, when Mark said, like, oh, yeah, I'm 23, I just like quietly said, like, Jesus, I'm old. <laughs> I just but, turned but, 28. But it's I, I that dude, okay, finds, come on. You're not like, she makes a game of finding gray hairs on my head and in my beard on the weekends. Oh, I'm, I'm like, not there yet. Oh, dog. wow. I can't wait for that. Oh, God. Well, Chris, yeah, I'm not there hair, yet, buddy. So I do. I do. It's true, but um, I I think that the Cavs would like to be Indiana in some ways. I don't. Th- I think they like Dan's maybe a little more aggressive, and well, he's not as hands on anymore. But I think he is or the best. Definitely. <laughs> well, I I mean it's his health. I I I do feel. I mean it's a health thing. I think more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, but his son Grant is much more involved now in in a lot of ways, although different ways. Like they're not. It's not like it's like Dan two point It's like he's got different interests. Um. Like he's very involved in some social stuff, and he's very involved in uh, in he's bringing the, the creative art director in and Daniel the chase down on board too. Yeah, he's, oh, he's awesome. yeah he has very different interests than than Dan does. Um, 
like I don't think he's going to be like a real estate tycoon or anything like that. That would be sort of surprising. But um, I, I think the Cavs would like to get to a place where like they're not what they've been without LeBron in the last 20 years. I think that would be like, frankly, like an optimal outcome for them. And that's hard. I, I think it's really hard to exist that way in the way that American sports and, and the NBA sort of works. It's like hard to like tread that middle ground for a long time. But Indiana's like found a way to do it, even though they have different coaches and different players come through. And the Cavs, I think there are some parallels there to kind of learn from. And um, it, it's it's tricky. Again, it's very, very tricky. But like it's remarkable to me in a lot of ways that the Pacers like were the team pushing the heat with Paul George and George Hill and Hibbert in you know, what, eight years later, seven years later, they're here and the team's completely different with two coaches since then. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. that's crazy. That's, yeah. That's, no, that's, I, it's crazy. And in Testament to an organization that like kind of knows what it's doing in a lot of ways. Definitely. And I think it's, uh, it's something I toggle with a lot. You know, I, I really think about it a ton because I'm, I'm not a fan. Uh, like I grew up a fan of the Pacers just because that's when I got into basketball was when uh, Paul George and David West and, and George Hill were happening, which is, it, it all, all it always makes me think about like how I kind of like wasted my my prime years like as a kid like when I could have been a fan watching LeBron like I went to multiple bobblehead nights of course when that was a thing at the queue still um, yes but uh, or I miss when it was called Gundry I know it just it changed for me when they called it the, when it when I went to the queue from Gun but um like I think it's interesting because like you're mentioning like when I was really getting my formative years into getting into basketball. Um, the starting backcourt was like, I went just to, to give you perspective. I've told you guys a story before. I don't think I've told the pod, but like I, uh, I, the, the one of the very first Cavs games I went to like on my own, like of my own volition, like paying for my own tickets, I got seats, I think 10 rows up for like 40 bucks to watch Jarrett Jack, Dion Waiters, Luol Deng, Spencer Hawes and Tristan Thompson play the Chicago Bulls. Oh, like, that was and I remember I looked up those prices two years later when LeBron came back and I think they were like almost five or six hundred dollars to sit that that close to the to the uh, to the floor. Um, and it's like there's something to like having a team that is competitive every year. And I think that there's sometimes like I don't enjoy when people throw out that the Pacers are mediocre. Like I think in some sense they have been. That's fair. Like they've been out in the first round the last three years but at the same time like there's something nice about your team being consistent like it's good that a team is consistent and they're always competing for something and I think the the real model is like you want to be like the 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 mid to late 90s Pacers who went to the Eastern Conference Finals you know four or five times um that's a hard model to build like you're mentioning but I think it's doable it's it's harder now but I think that's what in, in making the Karis LeVert trade, the front office was very aware that it was going to hurt their immediate chances. But they have, like Kevin Pritchard talked about in his uh, his most recent press, press conference, that um, he really wants the team to build something with the coach in terms of going forward for three or four years, not just having like a one or two year window. Like they really want to do something that is consistent and lasting. And and that, that's that been really uh, prevalent for him. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's what – what they have a chance to do. I still have questions about, you know, what the two big front court can look like at the highest level. Um, but yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think that's a good thing for the, for the Cavs to strive towards. Cause I know when I was a kid, I, I kind of wanted that. Like it was cool having LeBron, but um, 
when LeBron wasn't there, it was, I mean, the, the Earl Clark Alonzo G years were thin, thin times. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's the, not what you want in a lot of ways. There's a lot of like tough hangs, um, and non LeBron. It's very lean in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, it's, uh, and like, and even extending beyond that before that, like Indiana had like the Jermaine O'Neal teams. Um, yeah, and they were fantastic. Like, like, like those teams, I actually would argue, uh, the Jermaine O'Neal Ron Artest team, the, <laughs> yeah, the, the Malice and the Palace team, the Malice was like really the Palace good, man. Well, yeah, but even really then, good. like the year before, um, that team just about the best team, like they, I think they won 58 games that year. And if you look at the Malice and the Palace, you're just like in terms of their ability, like they probably, probably would have gone to the t- to the championship that year to play the Lakers if, yeah, if the fight doesn't happen. Um, but alas. Wow, you really just poured the poured the wounds open. Salt. Look, in. man, I I had a I owned a Jermaine O'Neal jersey. Like in I still own a Jermaine O'Neal jersey. Yeah, I had. So. It's probably well. I don't know. My parents just moved, so I don't know if like it exists anymore. But I had a Pacers navy blue Jermaine O'Neal jersey. That was like that, and I like a KG jersey. Were like the two non-Cavs jerseys I ever bought. I think. Yeah, Jermaine was fantastic. Actually, I've never gotten more hate uh, on an article than when I wrote that his jersey should be retired. Um, it turns out people are very finicky when you talk about retiring jerseys, but uh, yeah, uh, yeah, you suggest you retire Anderson Verichow's jersey and you can upset half the Cleveland fan base. Wait, you suggested that, yeah, I suggested that, and I still stand by Verichow getting his jersey. That's that's kind of fine, like he was he was pretty good, like I mean, yeah, he was really he was good. Four, he was an all star until he ruptured his Achilles, he was averaging 14 and 14, and the little less glimmer of hope because Kyrie was getting hurt all the time was snuffed out when that happened, so yeah, that's where I'm at. Chris, I, I forget where you're at in that stance. Are you for my, 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 oh, I'm for it, but I'm also like, you should never, I don't think you should actually like retire jerseys. You should like hang them and honor them, but I don't think you need to like actually retire. Yeah, jerseys. I would agree with that because like, what are we going to do in 50 sense. years when the Yankees only have like 20 jerseys left? So yeah, like, like every, every player on the Yankees is wearing like numbers in the 60s. It's just going to look yeah. stupid. Like, it's what gonna, are we doing? It'll look like the, I mean, you guys have seen the Pistons play this year. I actually enjoy watching this Pistons team play, but they have like, at one point on the court, they'll have 41 and 26 and 38 and 55. And I'm like, what is this shit? Like, I can't No, It's like the it's most a, unesthetic thing ever. I'm not about I think it. It's a, if it's above 65, you need to give the league a specific reason why you pick that number. Cause I know Baron Davis had to tell the NBA when he came to Cleveland, he wanted 85 because that was the street. He was born on in LA or grew up on one or the other. But um, yeah, no, it's, that's just, a, yeah, those are weird numbers. I don't know. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm big for, chris's idea too but like maybe like iconic players uh like a lebron like yeah you hang up two three for that one but other oh than yeah that, you just 100%. honor the player in the ring of honor and i mean the Cavs have enough space they are carving up a ton of real estate in cleveland right now they could build a museum for all those players they wanted definitely well guys uh i really appreciate you coming on and taking the time uh where can people find you at and uh any anything you want to plug before we get out of here uh, you can find me on Twitter at CWMRights. Evan and I co-host the Lockdown Cast podcast together. We run for this remark right to us that's for this right now as well. And it's great to have him um, on the team. You can check out all our Cavs stuff there. And uh, yeah, that's just, we're moving along. We're really moving along with this weird season. I can't believe it's already halfway over. Yeah, definitely. I'm uh, I'm really excited uh, for the game on Wednesday. 
And to everyone listening, of course, I will be on their show also on, on Wednesday night. I'm, I'm now officially locked in. So you have to have me. That's how it works. Oh, um, no, just kidding. Uh, no, we're, we're in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah, shit. Did, Damn. Didn't okay. even do it right. Wow. 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 Do wow. I have to start talking about screen assist now? Um, but <laughs> sorry. Well, no. Evan, well, here's the, the Evan actually is probably going to get himself fired uh, because he keeps talking about Andre Drummond in our, in our locked hey. on DM. So I literally said somebody said evan why did because we hired some new folks the lopn that's the locked on podcast network um, also fo- fo- i never said the fo- evan follow evan on twitter and i'm not evan he's much better at twitter than i am but i want to make sure he got this plug well, my there. social media games on point because all i do is just mess with chris and try and bring the evan does have a social media game thank you thank you but um no somebody's like evan why didn't you offer andre drummond in a trade and i just had to say i promise i behave because i got kicked from the locked on nba dm um over the weekend i think or no last week because I kept like floating to everybody who lost, like, you know, who would help. And I posted a, a drum and Jeff right after the same exact <laughs> one too. It was the best part. It was That's like the, him like shimming on the bench a little bit. Yeah. yeah he just that. like looks at the camera, shimmies and smiles. I'm just like, God, this is perfect. Oh yeah. I'm looking forward to talking about that on Wednesday. Cause I have, I have thoughts even since writing, I have, I have thoughts on what's going to happen with Drummond, but uh, we'll get there guys. Yeah, thank you again, sure. everyone go follow them. Follow me. If you don't already uh, just have a good rest of your day. Thank you for listening.